This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Choice. Um, so, so I, I think it's like a very important lesson for all of us that I'm going to say tonight, especially for parents and for teach, especially for teachers, maybe even more than parents. Um, so I get on the plane coming home, Delta, flight back to America. Now I, I was up all night, pretty much. Matzi Shabbos, as much as Shabbos was. Like Walmer, and you you're not sleeping when there's 550,000 people in this little teeny uh, square space um, and music and everything. So pretty much didn't sleep. Left Moron at four o'clock. Got back to Shlaim at 7:30. Um, so I, I went to Daven, and then I slept actually on Sunday. So coming to this flight, I wasn't really that tired. And it's an 11-hour flight, 11-hour and 20 minute, whatever it is. It's a long flight. Okay. So I get to my seat and I sit down, and um, there's this huge screen in front of me. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, like, how am I going to get through 11 hours? I'm going to go crazy. Um, so I sit there, and it's a touch screen. It's a, in the brand Delta's this new plane, and it's a touch screen. You don't even you're not much enough to just touch it. So I touch it, and it has these like five categories: music, movies, TV, HBO, and uh, and um, a map where you can follow the plane from Israel to New York. Pretty much, if you if you watch that, you're going to go out of your mind because, like it'll say, time time and time and arrival, time where you left, how many miles left to go, how many feet you're up in the sky, and you, you know you, just, you can just sit there and watch that for 11 hours, but you, you go out of your mind. So, so it's it's just so you, you look at that every four or five hours. Anyway, so I got to give you a little history about myself. So growing up, I was always very. Um, you know, very out of the box. And um, one day in the library in the sh- in my elementary school, I think I was in eighth grade or maybe seventh grade, there was a book, um, an English book. You know, the library pretty much consisted of whatever anyone donated to yeshiva that they looked through, made sure it was clean, and so they put it in the library. So it didn't have that many books. I saw this book called The Hobbit. Now, The Hobbit is a, is a, a book about Middle Earth, um, total fantasy, goblins, orcs, elves, monsters, you know. Not something for a 12-year-old guy in yeshiva to be reading because it's, uh, like, for a boy, it's like, what are you reading? It's like, you believe in goblins? It's, it's silly, but I was bored. So it looked interesting, so I took the book. I was maybe 11, 12 years old, and I read The Hobbit. Now, The Hobbit's written in Middle Earth English, so it's not so easy. The words are not that easy. And um, it's a little bit like Shakespeare, you know, third person. But um, but I read it, and I was fascinated by it. Because, I don't know why, but I thought, like, it's very connected, because Tolkien, the one who wrote it, must have learned Kabbalah, or because a lot of the stuff he writes in the book have to do with the Muhammad, of the war of good and bad. Um, one of the main... One of the main actors, one of the main um, th- people, or now I'm not going to call him a person, but in the book is a guy named Gollum, which comes from the word Gollum. And he was a Gollum because he sort of was pulled both ways. And the, the ring that he was, that he had, he called my precious. And the power of the ring was above everyone else that when you had this ring, you could disappear, which um, a lot of us like to do would like to do and um, but it, the, the, the ring itself corrupted the person who wore it because power corrupts so there's a lot of very deep things 
And then this Tolkien, after The Hobbit, which is the first book, he wrote three other books. He wrote more. He wrote more than one of three other books. But three other books called The Trilogy of the Lord of the Rings. And um, the, the first book is The Fellowship of the Ring. So to me, that was Achtus. And then The Two Towers, which is the, the good and the bad. And the last book of the trilogy is called what? The Return of the King. Mashiach. Right? So if you read through the books, you see that somehow this guy is pulling something out of, of which everyone does, pulling something out of our religion and, and the dark side and it's the good side and the little guy on the good side fighting the big bad guy. And I was very into this. So I read The Hobbit. My, my friends thought I was out of my mind. They said to them, you got to read this. They opened it up. It's, it's, it's talking about hobbits. They're like, what are you crazy? I want to talk about baseball, football, not, not, right? Fantasy. I was fascinated. I read the, I read the trilogy, which for a kid my age, three books like that, you know, with, with over 350 pages in it, was a lot of reading. But I loved it. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it. And I must have read those four books at least 15 times by the time I was 15 years old. And in my head, you know, when I faded out of class a little bit while my Rebbe was teaching, I was the guy with the sword. You know, you know what kids are, whatever it was. So it was very much a part of my growing up, this fantasy, science fiction, Middle-earth books. Okay. Now, it's very interesting. I ask girls many times when I speak to kids, I ask them, kids who watch movies, I'm like, what do you like better, movies or books? And you can really tell a lot about a person because people who read a lot of books, they're people who have fantastic imagination. Why? Because when you read a book, so nobody's showing you the picture of the person you're reading about. So your whole picture of the book is your own. And that's why if someone reads a book and then they make a movie out of the book, the movie's never good. Anyone who read the book will say, ach, the book is much better. Why? Because the book is your imagination. The movie is the director's imagination. It's not your imagination, so you don't like it. So they came out with a movie, The Lord of the Rings, all three of them. And they came out with The Hobbit in a, in a cartoon, which I would not watch. I'm not watching a cartoon. And I was always wanted to see that they should put out a movie, The Hobbit, but they didn't. So you have to imagine, I haven't seen a movie in 15, 16 years. I haven't seen a movie. And when I say I haven't seen a movie, I haven't seen a DVD. I haven't seen a movie at home. I haven't seen a movie, period. Not only to a movie theater. When I stopped, I stopped, right? Like I spoke about two weeks ago, absolute. Stopped. So here I'm on this plane. And, okay, I'm curious. So I'm playing with the with the thing of that the music music oh is there, there's one station out of a hundred on that that they have computerized that's Israeli music okay so I have I can listen to some music of course it didn't work because when I went to the station all three things of music were women singing okay what are you going to do right but at that point I said okay I'll listen to music oh, the first hour or two and then I'll fall asleep and then I hit movies. And on the screen, there are three movies. Not, not, I didn't hit movies. It says, like, right now. The movie's from right now. You know, the, right now. Movies that just came out. I hit it. Boom, on the screen. The Hobbit. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I could watch this movie. I'm in business class. There's no one there that I know. Um, I'm not, you know how the Yitzhah works. I'm not going to a theater. I'm not taking a DVD out in my house and watching it. I'm on a plane. It's The Hobbit. There's no women. 
There's no curse words. I'm dying to see this movie. Honestly, I really want to see this movie. And in my head, I'm sort of making it kosher. Okay. You know, Yitzhak was working on me. Let me see if, uh, let me, you know, I didn't know yet at that point that the music was women singing. I'm like, you know what, I don't want to start. I don't want, you know, when you, when, the, when you go to war with the Yitzhahara, so when you go to war with the Yitzhahara, one of the first things you need to do is to push him off. Not to react right away, because if you're going to act right away, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do the wrong thing. You know, it says drag him to the, drag, when you have, if the Yitzhahara comes to you, drag him into yeshiva. What do you mean? If I drag him into yeshiva, like, then my, then the Yitzhahara is not, He's not more powerful than me. The answer is, just drag him in for a couple of minutes, right? But I'm going to walk out, I'm going to do it. No, you won't. You have to push it off. And that's why um, today, it's much harder for kids. Because if I wanted to go to a movie, so I had to sneak. Uh, It was very funny because in Muncie, there was no movie theater. So in, in Yeshiva, we couldn't really sneak out and go to a movie. But next to it, there was Pathmark and Rickles. The two big stores of Muncie, and right next to it was a drive-in, a drive-in movie theater where people from the old days they have a big screen. Everybody pulled their car up, and every parking spot would have a like a, a, a speaker, and you'd pull it into your car, right? You close the window, and you sit in your car, eat potato, eat whatever you want. It was called the drive-in movie theater, big screen, and you had like 300 parking spots, and everybody would park and they watch the drive-in. We're in yeshiva, right? We don't have a car. We're young kids, so. I'm going to get into trouble for this, but so so once in a while we would we would sneak behind Pathmark, and the, the, you could see the screen for from while you use screen, and we didn't have we didn't have the sound because we didn't have a car, so we would watch the movie without sound because <laughs> we didn't have a car. So it was very funny because on the way back to Yeshiva that night we're talking, each guy saw a different movie <laughs> because you can't we couldn't lip read. I'm like, no, she said that, he said that, no, no. So it was like it was very funny, but you know you have to. You had to, you had to make a trip out of it. You had to, you had to step out of your house, step out of your shiva. You had to sneak around just to, just to go see a movie. Guys who were in New York used to go to Manhattan, whatever it is, and they would get caught. Funniest story I ever heard, where where a few boys cut yeshiva to go to a Yankee Boston game, and um, they, they were in Mary, whatever they were in yeshiva, and they cut to go to a game, and uh, they had their whole plan. Everything was perfect, but they wouldn't get caught. And on, on, it was a Sunday, and on Monday, on the, on the, like, the back page of the New York Post, was a huge picture, it was a big Yankee game, with these four Jewish kids sitting in the stands, like a close-up. And everybody knew that they went to that game, right? If Hashem doesn't want, if Hashem wants you to get caught, you can have the best plan in the world. You're gonna, you're gonna get caught. So, um, so anyway, so, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, let me listen to some music. I'm not, I pretty much was given in that I'm going to watch this Hobbit um, at that point because it, it said it's two hours and 50 minutes, which would be amazing. Three hours of the flight gone, and by then I'll be probably fall asleep. So I was pretty much in my head that, you know, it's the Hobbit. Maybe I'll even tell my class how I broke down and watched it, you know. Fine. So I put the earphones on. So I'm going to listen to some music first. I'm not, I'm not jumping into this Avera, so to say. 15 years, they didn't look at a screen. You know what that is? 15 years. So I plug in my earphones, and I put them on, and I go to the music channel, and it's like, <laughs> I'm like, what? It's making crazy noise. So I'm thinking I put the plug in wrong. So I flip and I put it in the other way, and it's making all this crazy noise. So the steward sees me playing around with it. He says, here, here, let me, let me try that. And he's, he's like, wow. 
there's something very wrong here. I'm like, oh, come on, Hashem. The one seat in the plane that I sat? I mean, come on, right? He said, no, it must be the earphones. She comes back with a new pair of earphones. Plug them in. <coughs> Forget it. I'm like, wow. I must be very holy. Hashem put me in the chair on the whole business class that the sound doesn't work. He's like, this is very unusual. We never have problems in business, you know, with sound. So I'm like, yeah, it's unusual. And I'm not going to see this movie, but I guess I could have after 15 years. He's protecting me. So I'm like, cool, I'm good. I'm not watching the movie. Ten minutes later, the purser, who's like the head of the, of the flight, comes over and says, um, Mr. Wallstein, we're really, really sorry, but all the, all these different screens work on a separate unit. Um, I'll be right back. I don't know where he's going. He comes back and I see that my screen says like, like, re, it's being reprogrammed. So it's like, it says on it, pause, reprogramming. I'm like, okay. Um, he comes back. He says, okay, wait till it goes back on and then try it. It's perfect. He fixed it. So it's like, it's like, in my head, it's like, okay, Hashem saved me. And then Yetzirah said, you can't do that. Hashem, that's not fair. He's got to be tested, right? So the person fixed it. So now I'm listening to the, I, I, that's when I first heard that the music was, was a woman singing. And I'm like, wow, it's very, very clear. So I'm sitting there. And there it is, right in front of me, the Hobbit. And I'm ready to watch it. And as I'm sitting there, I remembered something that I learned once, more than once actually, and I had this crazy struggle, and I think that that's the reason I'm telling you this story, I want you to try to understand my struggle. Why am I telling you that I read it as a kid and everything? I really, really wanted to see this movie, like pretty much, if there was any other movie, I would never watch a movie today. So the Sultan set up the perfect test. I would never watch a movie, I'm going to watch a movie, I would never put my eyes out, Shemir said, no, I'm not going to watch such a thing. But The Hobbit, I know the book. I know there's no women in this. And I know there's no cursing in it. So it's like the perfect test. The one movie that Wallstein would watch is The Hobbit. And guess what? It's a new release. And it's one of the three on the screen. So the, 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 the test was perfect. It was a perfect setup. They knew exactly what I would fall for. And I was going to fall for it. And then I remembered something which every parent and every girl and every teacher must never forget. And that is the following. That if, if you speak about something, in other words, if I, if I was to get up here tonight after watching The Hobbit and give you a shit about movies and how they're not real, they're a waste of time, and that it's not good for you, even if you'd walk out of here, wow, what a fantastic shit. You take all your DVDs and toss them in the garbage. Within a month or two or three or four or six, you will be watching movies again. Why? Because this, what, what comes out of my mouth to you has no effect on you. It's what comes out of my soul that has an effect on you. What comes out of my heart goes into your heart. Not what comes out of my mouth goes into your ears. That's nothing. You can hear speeches all day. So you won't even know why you fell back to movies. You're going to think you were weak. I will all say it was a good shear, but I couldn't hold on to it. Wrong. The shear that changed you had something in it that was contaminated. 
Because the man that gave you the shear himself watched the movie. Even though you'll never know about it. It's not like you found out I watched the movie and I'm a hypocrite. And because I'm a hypocrite, you're like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not listening to this guy. He's giving me a speech about something he doesn't keep himself. No, you'll never find out about it. You will never ever find out. It. But if my toicha is not kebairoi, if I'm not what I'm talking about, then even if it, even, first of all, most of the time it won't even have an effect on you. But even if it has an effect on you, it will not last. And you will never know why it doesn't last. So, if I'm giving a speech on Shmir Sinaim, and I myself don't watch, then that sheer in the spiritual world cannot change you for a long period of time. If you get up and you have a class, now, you can be teaching first grade, you can be teaching second grade, and you can be telling the kids, Lashon Hara, I'm going to tell them about Lashon Hara, and Chabetz Chaim, then you go home and you talk Lashon Hara, you should know that those children will never be able to keep what they got from your class. Why? Because the Dvaram is Yetim and Alev. If it came out of your heart, and you yourself are not practicing what you preach, it cannot have a long-lasting effect on the people that you're talking to. So here I am, sitting in front of a screen, knowing that if I watch this movie for the next two hours and 50 minutes, I can never, ever get up in a shear and talk about movies. And I was like, as much as I want to see The Hobbit, it's just not worth that. And if I do get up and I do speak, I know that those people will in the end not keep what I'm saying. And in the end they will fall and they will blame themselves not knowing that they're ready who got into their heart because their heart was open at the shear. So your heart is taking everything that I'm saying in. So it's going to take the pollution, right? It's going to take the stuff that's, um, that, what do they call that on a, on a CD um, of a computer? I forgot the word. When, what? No, it's not a virus. It's a different word. Word. Whatever. That, that it's not... What ha- it, it's like a virus. And once it gets into the system, it rips everything apart. So, so a parent... And, and, and I get this so much. Newlyweds. Right? And they're like, they're like... I'm like, do you watch movies? you watch DVDs? Yeah, we watch DVDs. But at Wall we don't have any children. So, so right now, you know, it's, 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 it, we, could, we could have internet in the house. We could have internet. We could watch movies. You know, because we don't have kids yet. It's not... It's not going to affect our kids, and the answer is yes, it will. See, because what's going to happen in 10, 20, in 15 years, when your daughter's in high school, and you're giving her a whole speech, what's wrong with DVDs? But it's coming from a mother that in her soul and in her heart, there's a lot of DVDs. You're not going to be able to help her. Because in the end of the day, it's coming from a place that's contaminated. So even though you're watching it now, right, later on when you want to give that over to that child, or you're, you're a teacher and you want to give it over to your students, if you yourself are not living that life, then even though the kid doesn't even understand why I can't break this. My mother keeps telling me it's wrong and I know it's wrong and I can't break it. The answer is because you infused into that child something that you were doing. So even though your words are don't do this, don't do this, but the bottom line is if you're not sneeze and you're not, and you're provocative, and then you have a girl, and she's 15 years old, and you, and you don't understand why she's provocative, and you're giving her all these speeches, and it's not helping, and I don't understand why she doesn't listen to me. And I'm watching, what's the answer is, what are you doing behind closed doors? Well, you know, but, but she doesn't know. My kids don't know I have a TV. I told them it's a microwave. <laughs> it's a very famous story in a chesidish yeshiva. When the 9-11 happened, and the buildings went down, so he started telling the kids in his class, in Yiddish, you know, that I saw a plane and it bumped into a, into a, it bumped into a big giant building 
and his Rebbe overheard it and he called the kid up and he said where did you see this plane? because you now I have a TV so where did you see this plane? he says I saw it in the kitchen and his Rebbe said you have a television in the kitchen? she says no no my mommy showed it to me on the microwave <laughs> so she's, tell, she's telling the kid that it's a microwave but it's not a microwave right so, so the Musr that we give if we ourselves don't keep it you need to know that even though they're great words you can tell great stories and you can be a great speaker it's not going to affect anybody in the end even if it affects them in the beginning it's it's got a virus it's going to die it's not going to help so here I am looking at a screen saying to myself that all the thousands of people that watch me on Torah anytime from now on if I watch this movie I cannot talk about movies I said no I'm not doing that and I just turned the screen off that was it I didn't see The Hobbit I missed it right but but Baruch Hashem I feel that I won a war that that if I wasn't a Rebbe and that's why it says we call Malam Da'i by taking the responsibility of being a parent and being a teacher um, you, there are certain things that you want to do that you can't do you just can't do it because if you do it then you can't you can't preach it and that protects you from a lot of things and I think I think parents have to be very careful not to be hypocritical um, it's not hypocritical because hypocritical means that you saw me watching and then I'm telling you not to watch it this is even this is past hypocritical this is that they don't even know they don't even know that you're doing it they have no idea that you're doing it so it's not hypocritical it's not like oh my Rebbe did this and now he's telling me not to it's not even hypocritical it's much deeper than that so I had the I had the schus that instead of watching The Hobbit um, now I had 10 hours 11 hours of and music that were women, so I couldn't listen to that. So I was pretty much trapped um, in my chair, which uh, is not such a bad thing. Um, and no phones, Baruch Hashem. So I couldn't do that, um, even though I sort of deleted about 230 text messages. But um, I had the model that I brought a safer with me, and, and um, an unbelievable safer by Robert's Real Tabba, which we're going to talk about tonight, because this, this, the reward that God gave me was to learn things on that night on, this, on that plane which just blew my mind just opened up my head and, and I feel very much that when you're passing the Sion um, the reward for it is that because Baruch Hu opens up your soul and he shows you secrets that normally you would not see so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit I'm going to talk to you about that um, before I get to that I don't know why I'm talking so much about what I went through this week but I think this is also very important then we're going we're gonna to go inside we're going to start learning something very very deep we'll, See if we can finish it tonight. So, person has to work on themselves all the time, and you know I'm talking about Hakar Satov. It's a very big, very big subject that I want to talk about. Again, I, did, I didn't tell you this story that I overcame the Hobbit, which sounds silly to a lot of people, um, to show off what I did. No, it's not, it's not what I'm saying. The reason I tell you the story is that you should have an understanding that that even in secret, even when nobody's watching, if if you don't do the right thing then it has a huge effect on your soul and that you need to know that when you won't be able to give that over to your children and especially if you're a teacher you talk Lashon Hara you can't tell your kids not to talk I mean you could it's just not going to work it's just not going to work you have to be what you preach to others that's how you have to live your life so Sunday when did I land? I left Sunday night I got here Monday so you all know that next week Wednesday May 8th we are having a dinner to raise money so that we can be open every Wednesday night 
and or now they can do the things that they do. So I came back from it to so I'm all excited, you know, I'm all juiced up. You know, when you want to get, when you want to plug in, where do you do, where do you plug in? You plug into the wall. So every morning at three o'clock, I was by the Kaiso, plugging into the wall. That's where the outlet is. So I was, I came home on a high. I was on a high. So I come to the office and I was gone last week. I'm like, so how's the dinner going? You know, May 8th, my phone never stops. I get crazy emails. You know, we're helping the whole world. Dinner must be like flying. We like, people have across the top. I'm sure everybody's putting in an ad for Avivit. I mean, Avivit helps everybody. Girl doesn't sleep, right? And we're honoring her this year, for sure, for $36 a mention, something. So I go over to my brother, because I can't ask Avivit if people are putting ads in for you. And I say to Yankee, so, you know, how's it going? And he's like, uh, it's not. I'm like, what do you mean it's not? He says, we have 100 people coming to the dinner. I'm like, 100 people? I get more than 100 calls a day. We mean 100 people. Where are all those people that call me all the time? She says, I don't know. So I'll be I go in there and she's like, well, can't, you know, she's not here tonight because she's working actually trying to make this dinner happen. So I'm a human being. As much as I try not to be, I'm a human being. And I'm like a little hurt because, you know, like, where's that car the tow? Everyone knows my number when they need me. Now we're trying to raise a little bit of money. Nobody knows my number anymore, right? Okay, I'm going to control myself. I'm, I'm, I'm working on myself. So I'm like, so who's making the calls tonight? You know, because you make a dinner. I'm sure any of you get calls at home. Hello, dinner. I'm going to put in an ad. You get this all day long. You know, people call. So we need girls to call. So I said to Abby Veed, who's coming in to call tonight? She says, we have nine girls coming tonight. I'm like, oh, that's very good. Okay. We have, you know, there's our cars that tow. We have volunteers. Nine girls from Ornava coming to make calls. I'm sitting there, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, Monday night, two girls. So I go to Avivi, I said, Avivi, where your nine girls? It's getting late. Can't call people after 9.30. She goes, seven of them didn't show. I'm like, seven girls out of nine didn't show? We have three and a half thousand women in Ornava, and you have two girls that showed? So now I'm getting upset. Okay? On top of that, Monday morning, so we, we have this new video that we don't show everyone. It's a video of the high school and the girls talking and whatever it is. And um, so I, ha- I have this video and I finished davening and I have a very close friend. I know him for 30 years at least. Pretty wealthy guy. So I wanted to go to him privately to, you know, get some money for the dinner. To, for, not for me. I don't get any money out of one now, but I have a job, I have a business. It's for everyone else. By the way, I'll, I'll tell you what, how Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu saved me because I was so upset. I was like, I gotta see what he did when he went through this. Because he also went through this. So, I go over to my friend after Davin. He's my friend. He's rich. We, we I don't want to give up. We, we're together in many different places. I'm like, you know, you're going home now? He goes, yeah. I said, can I come over? I want to show you a six minute video. He says, why? I'm like, you know, we're having a dinner. Maybe you can help me. It's just six minutes. That's it. The whole video is six minutes. He goes, I'll be honest with you, Zach. I'll be honest with you. I'm just not in the mood. I'm like, really? Yeah, I'm not in the mood. No, don't come over. I walk out of shul. I'm like, what? I know this guy for 30 years. I've asked him to watch a six-minute video. He's not giving me six minutes. You know what? Watch it so you don't have money. Say, I can't help you right now. I have other things. But give me the six minutes. And I was thinking to myself, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. 
You can't judge anyone else. But then the Yetzirah came back and said, what do you mean you can't judge anyone else? If after Davini would have come over to you and said that his daughter or his, grand, his, his niece, right, is off the derech and she needs help, could you talk to her for an hour right now because she's not in school? I would have done it in a second. And I would have ended up talking for three hours. So, you know, you judge people by what, what you expect people to do for you. So, like, I'm really, so my Monday was not good. I was not having a good Monday. Okay. So, I'm on my way home from the office. Two girls showed up. Nobody's coming to the dinner. We're not getting many ads. I'm pretty upset. Um, and I'm on my way home, and my phone, my cell phone rings. And I don't usually pick up my cell phone, as most of you know. Um, I let it go to the messages, and then I pick up the message, and I call back. Because there's certain people that call me with very silly things, and I don't want to get caught, and I don't want to hang up on them. So I hear the message, I call it back. If it doesn't make any sense, I don't call them back. So, I don't know why. I thought I knew the number that was calling, so I picked it up. Random girl calling me. Hi, is this Rabbi Wallstein? Yeah. Um, do you have a couple of minutes to talk? I'm like, sure. I don't know who she is. I never met her. I said, what's going on? Listen to, listen to how a Kurdish Baruch runs the world. She says... I really thought you were the right guy to talk about. To talk about. So I'm thinking, who knows what, right? She says, I have a friend that I'm very close to, and I do everything for her. And the more I do for her, the more she asks me to do more. I said, okay, so you're a balas chesed. She says, no, you don't understand. She never says thank you. She has no hakar satov. She doesn't show me any appreciation. She doesn't even show me recognition what I'm doing for her. And I really want to stop. That's what she tells me. I really don't want to do it anymore. I just want to know, you know, if you're mechaev, are you mechaev to do something for someone who doesn't have a crush of Now, it happens to be that a great rov said, you're not mechaev. You should know that. There's a great rov that said, someone who doesn't appreciate you shouldn't do anything for, because you're causing them, they don't have a crush of tov, they're a kafli tov. So you're causing them to be a kafli tov, and that's a very bad thing. So there's one rov that said, person doesn't appreciate you, you shouldn't do anything. But there's only one rabbi that, that, you know, that said that. So now, God's turning it on me. This girl's calling me that I should give her advice, what do you do with people who don't appreciate you? I'm like, okay. So whatever I'm about to say, I need to listen to myself. But I gotta answer her. So I told her a story that happened to me. And I told her that there was this one girl that I managed put my whole life into. It was a while back. It was really when Ornava started. So it's like nine, ten, eight, nine, ten years ago. I was much younger. I had more energy. And this was the first girl that I ever really worked with. And she was 14 and a half, and she made me crazy. She'd call up in the middle of the night with crazy things, and I'd get up, go meet her, talk to her. I was chasing her around. I was breaking down doors. She was in the wrong places. I was very busy with her. She was sort of my daughter. I sort of adopted her. And I really spent a very long time working with her. Baruch Hashem, she came around. So she got engaged. And she's getting married. And she calls me up a week before her wedding. She knows that I'm always late to everything. And she says, Wallstein, I'm telling you something right now. The wedding, the, the reception is at 6.30. You have to be at the wedding hall at 5.30. I'm like, 5.30? She says, you know me, and I could freak out and walk out of my own wedding. So I need for security to know that you are there. 
I said, I will not go to work that day. I will be, I understood her. I said, I will be there. You have my word. I will be there at 5.30. Okay. What happens? The wedding is upstate. So I leave Brooklyn at 4.30. It's going to take me an hour to go to Muncie to get there by 5.30. I come out of the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. You either make a right, go to the West Side Highway, or you make a left, you take the FDR Drive. The FDR Drive is much faster, but the West High, but it's usually full of traffic. The West Side Highway takes longer because it has lights, but usually, I don't know why I decided I'm going FDR Drive. I'm on the FDR Drive, I'm around 72nd Street, traffic stops. Okay, FDR Drive happens all the time. I'm sitting, I'm sitting, I'm sitting. Half an hour, 40 minutes, I'm not moving. It's not like slow bumper to bump. Not moving, people are getting out of their car. I'm like, what's going on here? To make a long story short, at around 96th Street or 125th Street, there was a, an accident and there was a car fire. And there was oil and gasoline all over the FDR Drive. They have ambulances, they have fire engines, and they have boats in the East River, police boats, Spraying the FDR drive to put out the fire. Fireboats. The FDR drive's closed for six and a half hours. And I'm sitting there. I missed the reception. I missed the Badekin. I missed the chuppah. I came at the end. I got there finally. The end of the first dance. Almost missed the whole wedding. I walked in. And I understood that she was probably very angry. And very beyond herself. And I was sitting in the car and I was, I was saying to Hashem, I don't understand you. I mean, I gave my life to this girl. She needs me. What are you doing? Like, this is the one wedding that I deserve maybe more than my own kids to be at. Because I did all this work. My mom didn't sleep nights and nights and nights with this kid. I didn't chap. And I was, I was pretty upset. Uh, at that time, I definitely wasn't what I am today. And even today, I would be upset. Like, hello, I missed her wedding. I missed her wedding. So the first dance is over. First of all, I walk in, the, the chassan's dancing. He takes one look at me and says, you're in big trouble. <laughs> so you can imagine that my heart went right down into my feet. Because I mean, like, oh, you, know, you can't make it up. I can't, I, she's not going to have another wedding. You can't make it up. That's it. It's done. It's finality. I can't, I can't change it. Okay, so they, they, they come to the table, you know, with the chassan. They dance with the chassan and and sit down. And I walk over to her and say, I'm really, really sorry. I promise you, I, I was at the battery tunnel at 4.30. I said, you'll hear tomorrow on the radio, you'll see in the newspapers that there was a fire and, 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 and it was closed and I got stuck. And I said, I don't know why Hashem did this. And she says, and I don't either. And I sat down and I was really upset. I was like, Hashem, why'd you do this to me? And I had a bracha. I had the last bracha, the seventh bracha. And I was supposed to be a witness. Uh, there's no pictures of me by the chuppah. There's no picture by the deck. There's, I'm not in her wedding. I'm with a bunch of other guys dancing. I'm not in her wedding. I didn't I sat down. I was very upset. And then in the middle of the first course, I got it. I got my answer. I got up. I ran over to her. I said, I got to tell you something. So she gets up. We talk like behind her, behind that table. I said, I know why this happened. I know why this happened. She said, why did this happen? I said, I think this was probably the biggest mitzvah I ever did in my life. I, I took care of you. There was, I don't know your family. I, I did it l'shem shemayim. I really did it l'shem shemayim. I said, after 120 years, I'm going to come up to shemayim. And they're going to say, you did this very big mitzvah. We're going to pay you half. 
Half schar. What do you mean half? Well, you went to this wedding, and everybody was buzzing how you saved this girl's life. And then you got a bracha by the chuppah, and everybody stood up and said, wow, he got the seventh bracha. He must be very chashiv, right? And you're going to sit by that wedding, and you're going to fell. Look what I did. I saved her. Look what she's getting married to. You're going to sit there and fell. You saved a girl's life. And you're going to get a lot of enjoyment for what you did in this world. I said, Hashem wanted to make sure I get zero enjoyment from the mitzvah that I did. So that after 120 years, this mitzvah is complete. The Yitzhah can't say, well, you got the seventh bracha. And everybody stood up. And everybody was talking about how Rabbi Wallstein saved her. No, Yitzhah. I was stuck on the FDR drive trying to figure out why Hashem did this to me. That mitzvah is completely mine. You have no part of it. So I said to her, you need to understand our relationship. Because Baruch wanted me to get 100% schar for what happened between the two of us that I, that, that I gave you so much time. And look at you today. I'm like, because Baruch just wanted me to get the full schar. So if you really care about me, instead of being upset, you should be happy that Ray Walstein was not at my wedding. Because now he's going to get what he has coming to him. And she took it. She accepted it. She wasn't happy. So I haven't seen her in a long, long, long time. And my wife hasn't seen her in an even longer time. I'm walking Friday from the bus in Maroon. Right? There's, I don't know, 10,000 people coming up for Shabbos. We're walking up the hill with a suitcase, my, my, my coat, my suit bag, and everything else. Rebbe, I can't believe you're here. I turn around, and there she is. And my wife's like, that's you? She has her hair covered like two hair. <laughs> Three little kids. Hasidish little kids. She's married to a breast of a guy, a great guy, whatever. And I was like, wow. I'm glad it's full. I'm glad it's whole. Now, I'm telling this to the girl on the phone. So I said to her, you know, you help me more tonight than I'm helping you. Because I have to tell you, and I'll be very honest with all of you. By Monday night in that car on my way home, I said, if I don't raise the money that I need to raise Wednesday night, I'm closing Ornava. So why do I need to kill myself for people who don't even come and volunteer to make phone calls? Why do I need to kill myself for the whole world? Wherever I went in Israel, adults, men, women, girls came up to me. Oh, Rabbi Wallstein, you changed my life. You saved my child. You did it. Right? And I'm like, okay. Did they put an ad in? Did they send a check? Like, I changed your life. I saved your child. How much money do you pay a therapist? $200 an hour? You can't send $36? I spent five hours with your kid? So I, this was brewing in me. And I'm driving home and I'm saying, we don't make the money. If, 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 people, don't, if people don't show up and people are not there, so why do I need to do this? I, I have a high school. I have a seminary. What do I need to do this for? They pay tuition. These people come for free. Everything's for free. So we have one night a year. We're asking people to make phone calls. We're asking, send them $36 for AVV. Oh, my God. Nothing. I'm like, I'm done. I'm serious. Before she called me, I'm like, I am done. I am not killing myself for a world that's not even willing to do a little thing, a little bad. I was really very upset. Besides, that guy really got me upset in the morning. They wouldn't give me those six minutes.
So now I'm giving this girl a whole drasha. I'm giving her a whole shmooze, right? So I said to her something, which, I, which is, that's why I'm spending so much time on this tonight. I said, everybody, after, after you go to the next world, you give a din v'cheshbin. Din v'cheshbin means you give a judgment, but there's also a cheshbin in that judgment. So now one second, I said, this is what I said to her. I said, you called me tonight. Let, you, don't want to, you don't want to help this girl anymore. You'd rather help somebody that says thank you. You'd rather help somebody that has appreciation, right? I said, so, so if tonight you decide I'm not helping her anymore, that's it. I helped her till now. She doesn't appreciate me. I'm not helping her anymore. I said, what, what's going to happen by your din v'cheshman? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Your good mom's going to get up and say, oh, Rifka, what a great girl. Look what she did for this woman. She, get, she cleaned her dishes. She took care of her children. She did all this stuff. She's a, she, 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 she's a Hashem. She did chesed. Your biggest mitzvah is chesed, right? She, she's a good Jewish girl. She did chesed. Yitzhak's going to say, no. She didn't do it for Hashem. She did it for thanks. And your malach, I told this girl, is going to say, what are you talking about? She's a tzadikistah. She did it for Hashem. And the son's going to say, really? Then how come after this woman didn't say thank you, she stopped? If she did it for Hashem, she doesn't need a thank you. So if she stopped because she didn't get a thank you, means she wasn't doing it for God. She was doing it to get appreciation. Haraya, what's the proof? She didn't get appreciation. She stopped doing it. Ah, she didn't do chesed for you, Hashem. She did it to feel good about herself. Now, I'm giving this musr to this girl. This is what I'm telling her. And I'm thinking to myself, if you stop or nava, because you didn't make the number or because people didn't come across for you, then after 120 years, when they say, listen, he did or nava, he did this, he did that, why did he do it? For Hashem, to help Hashem's children, bring him closer to the Torah. If that's why you did it, Wallstein, then who cares if someone says thank you? It has nothing to do with thank you. So if you stop doing it, is a riot, why did you stop? Because nobody's saying thank you. With a proof that the reason you did it was to get the thank you. So I said to her, just the opposite. Because she doesn't say thank you, that's the one you should be helping. Because there's no ulterior motive. They can't take your chesed and blow it away. Because they're going to say like, well, she got thank you, she got covered. Thank you? The girl never said thank you to me. She doesn't appreciate me. She gives me more stuff to do. And I still did it. Is a riot as a proof? I did it because I have a mitzvah. Doesn't say love a fellow Jew because she says thank you. And I'm listening to myself. I'm giving this kid this whole speech, and I'm like, you don't even understand what you did for me tonight by calling me. No, no, you always say that you like to make people feel good. I'm like, no, you don't understand because I'm giving you the speech, and I'm like, if if you need thank yous and you need appreciation to run or nava, then you're not doing it for the right reason. They're going to blow my whole thing away. I'm like, I don't care if nobody shows up at this dinner. I don't care if nobody sends in a check. I'm not stopping it. So you had me. You had me on the plane. And you had me Monday when I got off the plane. You had me for 24 hours. Not happening. Nobody shows up. Nobody gives money. Nobody appreciates it. Just the opposite. You know what? It doesn't make a difference. If you're doing something for somebody else, yes, they need to appreciate you. But you don't need them to appreciate you. Listen carefully. They need not to be a kafei tov. They need to appreciate who you are and that you're doing something for them. But you do not need them 
to appreciate you for you to do what you're doing. It's very hard. It's growth when you, you know, there's a, there's a famous story, I think it was the Sansa Rebbe. So somebody came to him once and, and you know, he's a Rebbe and, and said that I need to make a wedding for my child. And he said, okay, he gave him a hundred, a hundred ruble. And the guy said, no, the Rebbe doesn't understand that. The other side said that they'll only let the chassan marry my daughter if, if we pay for the house, which was 10,000 ruble. Otherwise they're gonna break the shidduch. The Rebbe didn't have 10,000 ruble. It's a famous story. It's a beautiful story. So the Rebbe said, okay, I'll see what I can do. Come back in two weeks. The Rebbe told his chassidim that he's going into Golis. Golis is when they, they used to go, they would get dressed as beggars, the Rebbe's or people, and then they would go for two weeks a month. Nobody would know who they were, and they would mamish sleep on, on chairs and, and feel what a beggar feels like. And that was called gullus. And it was a, it's a kapara, it's forgiveness, and it's, it's connecting with yourself outside. So the Rebbe told the Hasidim, for the next two weeks, you're not going to see me, I'm going to gullus. And no one can follow a Rebbe into gullus. So he gets, he changed and he left. But really he wasn't going into gullus. He was going to raise money for this chassid. And he went for two weeks, day and night, day and night, day and night, and he went to raise money. And he came back after two weeks, he had the money. But he didn't tell the Hasidim anything. He comes back, and he tells, it's a very famous story, and he tells the Hasidim, I want you to go to the marketplace, and I want you to buy me all the cherries that they have in the marketplace. And after this was Europe, they didn't have that many cherries in the marketplace. The Rebbe doesn't eat cherries. So the Hasidim are like, what's going on here, Kabbalah, what happened in Gullahs? What's with the cherries? They never saw the Rebbe eat a cherry. They come back, they had a certain amount of cherries, whatever it is. The Rebbe says, tonight we're having tish. Every all the Hasidim have to come to tish. They come to the tish, usually by tish, the Rebbe gives out fish, he gives out matzo balls, he gives out chicken, he gives out challah. There's just a bowl of cherries on the table. So he tells all the chassidim, each one should come, make a bracha by a eat a cherry, take the pit, and put it in this bowl. They're like, what? Like, this is like not normal. The Rebbe says to do it, you do it. So they go ahead, and they, they, um, each one eats a cherry, puts a pit in. And he's got this whole big bowl of pits. Right? They all sit down. They don't know what's going on. The Rebbe calls over the chassid. And he says, I just want you to know, here's the $10,000 that I promised you. Also, besides the $10,000, I want you to take this box of pits. So the, the, the chassid says to him, thank you very much, Rebbe, you managed to save the shidduch. What's with the pits? Is it like uh, special pits from the Rebbe? If I plant them, you don't have a beanstalk like a cherry. Uh, I, I should make a cherry orchard. I don't understand what, why the Rebbe tell me to do this. So the Rebbe says, come here, I want to tell you something quietly. So he bends over and the Rebbe says, let me tell you something, something that I've learned. The bigger the favor you do for somebody, the bigger the stone that person will throw at you. No good deed goes unpunished. He says, so do me a favor. When the time comes, right now you're very happy with me, I gave you the money. But the time will come that you're going to want to throw a stone at me. Don't throw stones. Here's the pits. Throw these. It's a very famous story. Don't do things for people for appreciation. You're there, Machayev, to appreciate you, but that's not what should be driving you. Just the opposite. is when you don't get the appreciation, then you know that you did the mitzvah holy, holy, holy for the right reason. And... I, I thanked Hashem for that phone call. I don't know who she is, and I don't know, you know, why she called me, but I myself learned from her question, I listened to my own Musser, 
that, that, that just the opposite, just the opposite. So, does everyone listening tonight, should they be at that dinner? Yes. Because you have a dinner of Hakar Satov. Not to me. Not to me. Maybe not even Tavivit. to To that Akash Baruch Hu put an Ornav on this world. That Akash Baruch Hu put a place for girls to grow, for people to grow, for people to learn. That, that he that he created this idea. So uh, for you, not for me. I don't. I don't need anyone to be there. I don't even need a dinner. But you do. And and I and, and I think that it's we we name the dinner, the the, the appreciation dinner. It's called the Hakar Satov dinner. Now I know people don't have money and it's whatever it is, but to write a thirty-six dollar check so that so that you have a mention to Avivit, it's not for me. The girl works her heart out on Shabbaton on everything, and, and it may have been the biggest mistake I ever did in my life by honoring her, because now she's very hurt. I never honored her before, so you don't know that people don't appreciate you until you get honored and they don't appreciate you. So I, again, she's not watching this; she doesn't know what I'm saying. But but a, a person on themselves has to have appreciation when 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 there's something there for them, and 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 it's not that Ornava needs it; it's that you need it. You need it. Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't hit the rock, couldn't hit the, the 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 water, and couldn't hit the sand. Not because sand has feelings or water has feelings; it doesn't. But but Moshe Rabbeinu himself today we, we're learning Hilchus Kibbutz Avim that if you're a doctor, you're not allowed to give your parents a needle. Or if your mother has a splinter, you're not allowed to take out that splinter. Or in the old days when they were bloodletting, you're not, if a person causes a mother or father to bleed, you're Chayav Misa. I know my father, Lashon, we had this hockey league in my basement called the WHL, the Wallenstein Hockey League. My father loved to play hockey, and I loved to play hockey, and he went to ask his brother Shiloh if he's allowed to play with his children. Because in hockey, there's body checking. You, you like hit each other, and if you cause, some, if you cause a parent to have a black and blue mark, you're Chayav Misa. So he asked his Rav, am I allowed to play hockey with my kids? Because they might hit me, or the puck might hit me, and cause me to bleed, or cause me a black and blue mark. I don't want to have my kids that should be high Misa. The Rav said, you shouldn't play hockey. You shouldn't play a body contact sport with your kids. Now, why can't, if I'm a doctor, why can't, or a dentist, why can't I pull my mother's tooth? Right? I'm helping her. If my mother has a splinter, why can't I take it out? If my mother, my father is sick, and he needs a needle, why can't I give him a needle? Right? Why not? I'm helping him. The answer is, if you draw blood from someone who brought you into this world, even though you're helping them, it's going to affect you. You hear how Father Shulchan Aruch goes? It's going to affect you. So what do I mean? I pulled my mother's tooth out. She needed, why should she pay $500 to a surgeon? I'm a surgeon. You. For, not for your mother's sake. If you cause her to bleed, then there's a, there's a, there's a little crack in your appreciation. You, she brought you into the world. You can't cause her to bleed. You pay, you pay the other surgeon to pull her tooth. You can't pull her tooth. That's how deep a curse tov goes. That even when you're right, wait a minute, my mother has a splinter, get it out. No one's around. No, ma, I can't do it. I'll pay a surgeon, I'll pay, I can't do it. What do you mean? Because, because in my subconscious, I made my mother bleed. I had a right to make my mother bleed, and with a favor, I know, but you made your mother bleed, and your mother brought you into this world. You can't, you can't hit the water that saved you, even when water was just doing what it was supposed to. It's a very famous story. I'll, I'll end with this. A, a, again, it's not my share. It, really, I didn't. I did not touch my share tonight. If you want to know my share tonight, you can listen to the boy's share from last night. And I gave. And I. And in Mitzvah, I'll give this next week. It's I, the share I gave in school today was an hour and fifteen minutes of Kuli. No stories. Kuli Torah, the deepest, deepest secrets of Rabbi Akiva and Moshe Rabbeinu. And before I walked in here tonight, 
I said to Hashem, I have my shear prepared. I love walking in here with my shear prepared. I'm confident. I know what I'm going to say. I have my safer. Everything's written. Everything's written. And I walked in there and I was coming down the steps and I'm like, Kush Baruch Hu, I say my tefillah again, even though I'm prepared, really don't pull this on me. Um, should come out of my mouth what they need to hear, not what I need to say. I didn't touch my share tonight. I didn't say one word. So, the whole Rabbi Akiva and the deepness of the thorns and the letters of the, of, it's a crazy share. You shouldn't listen to the boys share because the problem is that next week I'm not, the next week we have a, we have a dinner. So, um, I think the following week is very shvuis. That's not good. I mean, it's good, that's shvuis, but, um, maybe we should do a share next week, Tuesday night. Um, well, Monday night. Would this, would all of you come Monday night if I gave a share Monday night? Yeah. No, Tuesday night I can't have the boys share. Um, unless we do an 8 o'clock share Tuesday night. Let's have a vote. Would you come to an 8 o'clock share Tuesday night? Because I have to give you a share for Shavuos. Okay. So, so, no, if you can't, you can't. People have college and stuff like that. Okay, so Mitzvah Hashem, even though they're going to kill me in the office, but who cares? Mitzvah Hashem, next week, um, Monday night, I, I would tell you this, I would tell you this, because I'm telling you this before I really know my calendar. Um, we'll send out a text. We'll, we'll try to put the information out. I will try, Mitzvah Hashem, to give the sheer... We'll give it Wednesday night. There's a dinner. I can't even do it before the dinner. The dinner is at 7 o'clock. Um, we could just sit here for another hour and a half. No. Okay. Um, let's go for this. Let's go for, let's go for, for Monday night in Mitzvah Hashem at, um, 9 o'clock. But really 9 o'clock in Mitzvah Hashem. Monday night. The way you can find out is you call the office and I will have the automatic 1718-R-NAV when you call. I'll have Aviv put it on the automatic tape. There is a shear Monday night at nine o'clock, or there isn't. You'll you'll hear it either way. So just one seven. It's one seven one eight or Nava. Okay. Um, so I want to end. I want to end with um, what? Nine o'clock. All right. I'll tell Rabbi Miller. He can give shear Wednesday night. To place me. But I think we're not open Wednesday night. We're forcing you. We're forcing you to come to the dinner. Anyway, um, so I want to just end. I want to give. Everyone, I want to give. Um, I want to give everyone a bracha. I just want to tell you something very, very short. One second, and this is really what my share is about Monday night. It says. It says in in um, Shir Hashirim, very beautiful. The second pasuk in Shir Hashirim says Yishakeni, Yishakeni Minshiko is pihu. Um, kiss me, right? We're talking, uh, with the kisses of, of your mouth, your, your love to me, Hashem, and your kisses is greater than the best wine. So they ask a kasha. And the kasha is, we only know of one kiss that Hashem ever gave. And that was the kiss that Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu when, when Moshe Rabbeinu died. So, um, we'll learn about this next week, Monday night. When Moshe Rabbeinu died, Hashem sent Michal to get the neshama. He couldn't get real. He couldn't. The Machamovitz couldn't. Nobody could get Moshe Rabbeinu's neshama. Finally, Hashem came and he talked to the neshama. And he said, "Neshama, the neshama will come out of his body." And the neshama told Hashem, "I don't want to leave." 
And Hashem said, but you have to. And he says, no, I'm, I'm more comfortable here than I'll be anywhere. And Hashem said, but I'll take you the soul of Moshe. I'll take you and I'll put you under the Kisiyah covered with me. And the soul said, no, I still want to be by Ramon. I can imagine. By Moshe Rabbeinu. So Hashem bent down, it says, and he kissed Moshe Rabbeinu. And through the kiss, he took his neshama. It's a crazy medrash. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. But that's the only kiss. So the, the, the major said that Hashem also kissed Miriam, Nishikas, uh, Misa, but it wasn't the same time. And, the, and that doesn't say that because it's not, it's not sneeze that Hashem kissed a woman. People are going to start making up all kinds of stuff, whatever it is. So the major says that's why he doesn't say it. But the Misa, as far as we know, is one kiss. So what is it saying here in Shirashirim? Your kisses are better than the great, the best wine. What's the kisses? He says something unbelievable in Pirkei de Machshava. You must get this book by Rabbi Rezil Tavra. And he says, the Moshe Rabbeinu Hashem kissed. Hashem initiated the kiss. Hashem kissed him and took his soul. Rabbi Akiva died, as we know, this, we say it on Yom Kippur, we say it in, in, the, in on Tisha B'av. They were raking, they were raking his flesh. Right? And he was dying. And he was saying, Kiyashma, when he came to the word Echad in Kriyashma, he was smiling, and his Talmudim said to him, why are you smiling? He was in so much pain. They were raking him with metal rakes. And he said, my whole life I was always wanted, in, in Kriyashma it says that you, you, should, you should give up your life for God, and I didn't know if I'd ever be able to do that. And now in the word, I'm going to say Kriyashma, and I'm going to die, and he was very happy about it. And in the letter, when he said Echad, valid, his Neshama left him. So it brings down that Moshe Hashem kissed. Rabbi Akiva kissed Hashem. And that's the second, that's the second kiss. That, that Moshe Rabbeinu, he died with Neshika. He died in a very beautiful way. So Hashem kissed him. Rabbi Akiva didn't die in a beautiful way. He died, it said that they took his meat, the chunks of meat that they, was, they were raking from him, and they sold it in the marketplace. And pe- the Romans were buying pieces of meat of Rabbi Akiva, of a Jew that was killed, was worth a lot of money. That's how he died. He died with Kiddush Hashem. It says a person who dies with Kiddush Hashem, in the word of Echad and Shema, he, didn't, he, he kissed Hashem. He initiated the kiss. And we're going to learn next week that Moshe Rabbeinu saw this and said, Rabbi Akiva is much greater than I am. That Hashem initiates the kiss and you kiss him back. That's very nice. Life is good. Hashem gives you what you want. And you're like, I love you, Hashem. But that in the greatest pain of a person's life, he turns around to Hashem and says, I'm giving you a kiss. I'm dying with a smile on my lips because I'm giving my life to you. I'm giving you the kiss. That's, that's bigger than anything else. And that's what Shlomo Melech said. Your kisses initiated by you or initiated by us, that's, that's, that's greater than anything else. So I just want to tell you a story about a woman who gave God a kiss. Rabbi Israel Tabu's mother. I read this story. It was the first thing I read when I took out this safer. When I turned off the screen in front of me, it said the Hobbit. This is a big safer. I went like this. Let me see. This is what it opened up to. I got up after I read the story. My wife was on the other side. I got up. I said, Esty, you, you have to hear this story. It's, you're going you're, you're gonna to freak out. And I don't do that very often. I do it pretty often. <laughs> Listen to the story. Rabbi Israel Tauber was born before the war. He was the oldest of all his brothers and sisters. He was born before the war. He was born in Czechoslovakia. And they ran. They weren't caught. They ran. 
And for five years, four or five years, they were running, till 1945. They were running from city to city. They went hungry. They got chased. They went to Pressburg. They got chased. They were running and running. During those five years, his mother gave birth on the run to three, to three boys, to three children. The last child she got pregnant, the fourth one she got pregnant with, the Nazis caught her and took her to Auschwitz. And she was able to hide that she was pregnant. They didn't know. She actually gave birth in Auschwitz and the baby was killed. This was Israel Tower's mother. European mother. Didn't learn, you know, the Radak in Mishlei. She was a European mother. When he got older, he turned to his mother. This is Mamish White. And he said to his mother, Ma, you were running away from the Nazis. You knew what was going on in the Holocaust. Why would you bring children into this world? To die? To be killed by the Nazis? You knew they didn't keep any children alive. Why did you do this? Why did you just wait till after the war? She had actually, she made it through the war and she had five more children after the war. Why did you wait, Ma? Like you knew they were pretty much, they were going to die. Meanwhile, Baruch Hashem, his three brothers made it. The ones that were born made it, except for that girl. Listen to what this woman told him. She said to her son, listen, I knew that they could, they could probably would die. She said, that's not up to me. That's up to Hashem. But she said, but let me tell you why I had them. She said, once they came into this world alive for one second, even if they would die, they could come back and and be an Olam Haba. But if I don't bring the Neshama down to this world, they'll never have an Olam Haba. So to me, it didn't make a difference. If they live, they'll have an Olam Haba, and they'll have to when they're 90, when they die, or 10 minutes, or an hour, or two hours. It's my responsibility to bring souls to this world so that they can come to the next world. So to me, it didn't make a difference. That was Rabbi Azriel Tauber's mother. So when I read this, I told my wife, there was a woman, Rabbi Azriel Tauber's mother, who didn't wait for Hashem to kiss her. She kissed Hashem. She, in the greatest pain of the Holocaust, said, I will bring your souls, God, into this world so that they'll have a chance to have to kiss and come to the Olam Haba. Doesn't matter. Everyone has the Kayach in their life. Instead of waiting for God to kiss you, to kiss HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What does that mean, to kiss HaKadosh Baruch Hu? That means that in your greatest pain, to still say Echad. And I told my girls in seminary, and I, I was almost crying, I was like, Oh my God, during the Holocaust, Hashem got a lot of kisses. Oh my God, there were so many people that died in the gas chamber, and the last word that anyone heard from them was Rabbi Akiva's last word, Echad. Wow, did he get a lot of kisses that were initiated by Klai Yisrael. We all have the schos that Akash Baruch Hu, from the words of Shira Shirim, should give us the neshika that he gave Moshe Rabbeinu and bring Klai Yisrael back and bring Mashiach You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com